Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. Uh, college football's back. Trey Lance, shockingly, not shockingly, I guess, he lost out. Everyone knew he wasn't going to be uh, a Niner for long. He was losing that QB battle between – he lost it to Brock Purdy, and then he lost the backup job to Sam Darnold. So he gets traded to Dallas. Um, Matt Stafford, apparently some trouble connecting with some of the younger guys in the locker room, if that's like a real locker room problem. I don't really think it is, but apparently it's a, it's a media story. So uh, college football's back. NFL, Some NFL future bets I want to talk about. Um, Otani tearing his UCL and what that means for his free agency uh, moving forward. And I think the Yankees should bring up Jason Dominguez. So we're going to cover all that and more on this week's episode. But before we start, a reminder that if you sign up to Underdog Fantasy using promo code Animal House, you will get 100% match deposit up to $100. Uh, your first match deposit, 100% up to $100 when you use promo code Animal House. So Underdog Fantasy, the link in the bio, as always, or the description of this podcast, as always, um, and be sure to sign up for 100% match deposit up to $100 with promo code Animal House. Thank you very much. So let's start with, actually, let's start with, um, this is just news in general. Noah Lyles. So for those of you who don't know who Noah Lyles is, because you might not, he is a track and field star for the U.S. And he was quoted saying, it's weird that American sports teams call themselves world champions. What are you champions of? America? It's not the same, right? And then Evan Fournier came out and said he supported him with that take saying it's just a title. It's not like a world title. It's not anything like that. And now you have people falling on two sides of the fence, which in my opinion, one side is absolutely right. And one side is just wrong and you don't get it. And you want to just like try and prop yourself up a little bit more. So Noah Lyles, obviously, as a track and field star, um, there are team and individual events that you can do in track and field. But when you compete, Generally, you're competing for the U.S., right? You're competing on a national stage against other runners and track and field stars from different countries. So when you win, you get to call yourself a world champion and all that kind of stuff. I understand where he's coming from. And to look at the NBA he used as an example, and that a lot of guys took like KD, I think Devin Booker, um, Damian Lillard, I'm pretty sure. they A lot of these guys took exception to it. We're just like, oh, my God, bro, like you don't get it. Um, and his point being the NBA is a American league. It's there's, there's no world stage that America is on. Um, but if you, if you researched the NBA for like literally five seconds, you realize it's global reach, right? The NBA is even now, like if you had let's say in the 80s, late 80s, even the early 90s, you had what? One guy who was an international player that was a top 10 player with Akeem Olajuwon. Everyone else was basically American. And I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple other European players in there, but basically it was Olajuwon and then everyone else was was American. Now, who's the, who's the best American player? Who's the, who's the best American-born player right now? Steph Curry, LeBron, like all these, my point being is that these guys who you would consider the best, so like LeBron, Durant, Steph, Damian Lillard, like these are guys that are getting up there in age and who is replacing them? International players, international players are they make up most of the top players in this league. Uh, just off the bat, Embiid, Luka, and Giannis are all, like, they're three of the top five players probably in the NBA, all international. And not only that, the NBA has such a global reach. You know, they have, and, and what I'm not even talking about now, 
top players, but just players in general. There are so many international players now. And the NBA, there is no league in the world that rivals the NBA. None. And there, there are a ton of basketball leagues. There's African basketball leagues. There's Chinese basketball leagues. There's other Euro basketball leagues. Uh, there's new a basketball league in New Zealand, right? Like Australia, whatever. So there, in all different parts of the world, there are professional basketball leagues. And none of them rival the United States basketball league, the NBA. They're, they're, none of them even come close in terms of the pool of talent. The NBA is by far and away the best basketball league on the planet, hosting the best players on the planet. There's not just like, there's not like a 23, 24, 25 year old basketball player playing in some random, uh, basketball league in Europe or Africa or whatever. And he's just like wasting away there and people don't know about his talents. If they were that good, they'd be brought to the U S and like a, a NBA team would get them a contract and would sign them out and see how they perform against higher level talent. That's how it works. If you are talented, they will find you. So when people in the NBA, when players in the NBA win a championship, yeah, they are the single greatest basketball team in the world at that given time. That's how it works. You can take any past champion in the NBA and put them against whatever squad, against whatever players from the rest of the world, and that team, the NBA team will win. I fully believe that. There is no... You could take the best players from every different league across overseas. Take the best player from every... Any league, any team, take their best players, put them on a team. They will lose to whatever team wins the NBA championship. Doesn't matter who. They will lose. So that's why you call them world champions. That's why we call them world champions. Because there is quite literally no one else in the world that can beat them. So, and Evan Fournier is like, it's just a title. You're never going to win a title. No one even wants you on your team. So stop it, please. I thought it was hilarious that he was the one that came out and said that. Like, meanwhile, every other NBA player is like, this dude's, this guy Lyles, he has no idea what he's talking about. And a lot of people came out and they're saying like, you know, well, soccer and the Euro League, like they have, uh, you know, a league, it's called the Champions League and they still don't call themselves world champions and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, it's it's so bizarre to me that people don't understand like this concept of the world champion, you know, like okay, every time the U.S. goes and plays in in the Olympics, we slaughter everybody. So yeah, I think we get to say we're the world champions in basketball. I, definitely like a pick me situation where he's like, look, track and field runs against all these different people from all over the world. So when you win, it's like, yeah, that's different than an NBA team playing against only American teams and then calling themselves world champions. But it definitely feels like a pick me scenario, you know, like, look at us. We actually do this and they don't. And then everyone was like, nah, dude, like that's not, <laughs> that's not how it works. Like, I, I don't know. I thought it was weird. Like, definitely he knew that he was going to ruffle some feathers and, and make headlines and and stuff like that. And, you know, all, all the only people I see agreeing with him are like Europeans who are like huge soccer fans and they keep bringing in the Champions League into this. And it's like, we don't care. <laughs> it's not, we do not care, man. We really don't. It's It's a basketball thing. And when I promise you, no one is is going to stop calling NBA champions world champions. It's just not it's not going to stop. And as for like I said, as for Evan Fournier being the one to back him, like <laughs> Evan Fournier, it's funny. It, it is funny. Like, nah, it's not not really the guy you want in your corner. You know what I'm saying? Like, of course, the Frenchman's going to back him saying that stuff. Uh whatever. <laughs> it's just, I thought it was such a silly argument 
it was going viral on on TikTok and stuff. And I saw it a lot. And like I said, you know, Booker and and Durant and and Lillard all kind of said, you know, what is this guy even talking about? Um, and that's basically what it is. Like, what is this dude talking about? This is like not, this is not it. It's not. Moving on to football. Um, in the in the shocking, but also somehow not shocking move uh the dallas cowboys traded i guess it's more so not that the the event happened that is shocking but more so who it happened with the cowboys traded a fourth round pick to the san francisco 49ers for trey lance so it feels like the niners haven't really gotten a lot of slack for this this is a guy who you traded up for to take with the number three overall pick and the Jets got slaughtered for Zach Wilson, right? Like now they're still kind of maybe holding out hope for him that he he learns how to be a good quarterback and learns how to play under Aaron Rodgers. Um, so they're keeping him around. But with Trey Lance and the 49ers, you traded up to get this kid. And knowing he was going to be a project, knowing he hadn't really started that many games in college, uh, and he had injuries, never really got it going with the team. So you trade him to the Cowboys for a fourth round pick, losing tremendous value. Like you you got less than like what the Jets got for Sam Darnold, basically. Um, you, you got nothing for him. Like a fourth round pick for a guy you traded up to get number three overall is crazy. Uh, especially a quarterback. So that's a huge, like colossal L for the 49ers. And I feel like people just do not care. And whether that's because they've had quarterback issues um, and they still have been succeeding year after year. And maybe that's why people are cutting them a little bit of slack and not really making it a huge deal. But they're they've been bad with quarterbacks. Like, they've been tremendously lucky, but also bad with quarterbacks. Like, Kyle Shanahan, Jimmy G got injured, was never really an exceptional quarterback, but he made it work. He did what the 49ers needed him to do. He didn't really lose games, but he didn't win you games. And that's been the MO for their quarterback position for the past, like, four or five seasons. Guys who are not going to win you games, but they're not going to lose you games. And right now, like, Brock Purdy fits that mold perfectly. Um, they have just a ton of weapons and an unbelievable defense. So they just ride that to the NFC championship game every year. That's what it feels like. Um, and Trey Lance, I was never high on Trey Lance. Um, I, I never, I didn't think he was going to be a good QB. I, I think it's fair to say that the physical gifts are there, but he has just struggled with the technical aspects of being a quarterback and he just has never found that right groove with the 49ers and he's in a he's in a tough spot there because they're looking to win and he's a guy whose name was in the mix to be the starting quarterback I think Brock Purdy of course had the the leg up just because of of what he did when Jimmy G went down last season and how he was able to perform he or earned a lot of trust in that organization and it was going to kind of be hard for anyone to beat him out for that starting quarterback job um and then they get Sam Darnold and now suddenly Sam Darnold is playing better than you in practice and he gets the nod as the second string quarterback and yes it's weird uh it was weird it's like yeah the Niners announced Sam Darnold's going to be the second string QB and it was more so announcing that Trey Lance wasn't going to be the backup quarterback. So they explored trade options and they traded him for a fourth round pick to Dallas. Which brings me to another point is Jerry Jones and his power crazed head is he, he came out and said nobody knew. Nobody knew he was working on a trade for Trey Lance and he didn't tell anyone until the deal was done which is strange and he is a weird guy jerry jones like he is a very power hungry guy you know he's the owner the gm the president like <laughs> does everything for the cowboys um it's weird to keep that tied up though like why keep why keep that under wraps you know 
And clearly, I think he wants to send a message to Dak, like, hey, we have this now young kid who we're going to try and develop. And like, if you struggle a lot like you did last year, maybe we give him a crack. I don't think that's ever going to happen. Um, but it's, it is sending a message that, you know, you went out and traded for this young work in progress quarterback to potentially succeed you as Dallas's QB when your contract's over. I thought, but I think it's, it's interesting to note that the Cowboys are the ones who took a flyer on Lance of all teams. You know, could have been some other people, but it was Dallas. And being in the position they're in now, does that not feel like Jerry Jones is threatening Dak a little bit? Because that's how it feels to me. That's how I'm reading it. Now, I don't think Dak, I think Dak is like tremendously more talented than Trey Lance. And I do not think even if he does turn the ball over a little bit, I do not think that warrants any type of benching to see what Trey Lance can do for you. I don't think that's, I don't think that's in the in the cards for for Dak and the Cowboys. So I wouldn't really worry too much about that. Uh, but in terms of like, can they develop Trey Lance? Can they make him work? And would he be a suitable replacement for Dak after his contract were to be expired? I don't know. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Trey Lance is more or less done in this league in terms of being a starting quarterback, I think he'll probably just be resigned to a backup and people will wonder, well, what happened to Trey Lance? Why did he never get his shot as a starting quarterback? Um, but to be honest, I think it's just, it's a lack of of technical aspects of being a, an NFL quarterback. I just don't think he he has it. I don't think he has the experience. And I know maybe in a different world if he was thrust into the position for a bad team you know he's still super young like i think he's still only 23 years old he came in really young and i just think that with him it's like yeah you can find a team to maybe give him a go he has the physical tools um yeah, he's 23 years old. So he has a lot of time to figure it out, I think. I just, um, I don't know if he's going to be able to get that shot. Because I think right now, obviously, Dallas has Dak and they're going to be competing for a playoff spot. Uh, and the Niners were the same way. Like the Niners, were, they're competing for a championship. And he, just, he, he, needs, he needs to find a spot where there's not going to be pressure and they're going to let him grow and build. But I just don't think that's going to be as he's not going to be able to find that spot. I don't think, unfortunately. So he's going to be kind of stuck in purgatory, more or less. Um, but why not take a flyer? I guess if you're Dallas. Uh, two other quarterback news that is worth mentioning Kyler Murray. The Cardinals situation is uh, dire. Like they have no quarterbacks to speak of. They just cut Colt McCoy, which is weird because you figured Colt McCoy would be a solid starter to at least throw in there and like maybe a buffer year. But now I'm reading that Kyler Murray is going to miss at least the first four weeks of the season. And to me, that's a bit shocking because why play him at all? Like, I hate to say that the Cardinals are tanking because tanking and football don't really go hand in hand. You can't really purposefully tank in football because people are going to get hurt. Uh, it's like a very, it's a very physical and violent sport. And if you're not playing at a hundred percent and you're not like trying at a hundred percent and giving your all, you're either going to get hurt or you're going to get someone else hurt. So Tanking in football don't really make sense, but in all sense of the word, the Cardinals are tanking. Uh, Buda Baker requested a trade, and they haven't traded him, but they traded Isaiah Simmons to the my Giants for a seventh-round pick. Fly, like, you take that swing for the Giants 10 times out of 10, but Isaiah Simmons was a top-10 pick just a few years ago, and he's not bad. It's not like he's been completely washed with Arizona and they just have no 
patient. Like it's like not working now. And they're like, well, we just need to get rid of him because it was a bad pick. He was a boss. We don't want him anymore. Get rid of him and see what we can get. He's good. Like he's, he's, a, he fits into certain schemes really well. And he's like a freak athlete. Um, and that was really his biggest plus coming out of the, out of Clemson was that he's a, a freak of nature athlete, uh, tall, long athletic can play outside linebacker and can play safety. Like, really really physically gifted um and i think the giants and wink martindale they're going to use him really well in that defense i think it's going to be fun to see him in that defense uh but you know for the cardinals you're trading him for basically nothing uh kyler murray is coming off his acl injury why rush him back because he got injured he got injured late in the season this wasn't like an injury he had in week two or week three, and he missed the entirety of the season. And then he had the whole off season to rehab. And then he's going to, you know, come back after a couple weeks of this season and play. Like he got injured late in the year. He tore his ACL December 12th. So whatever week that that's, feels like, you know, double digits week, right? Approaching the end of the season ish. It wasn't early on. So the earliest he can come off the the PUP list or the earliest he could practice is uh, the earliest he could practice with the team is October 2nd, the day after the week four game against the 49ers. And the earliest game he could play is October 8th against the Bengals. Now, I don't think it's just going to be as simple as, hey, activate him off the PUP, get him some practice and let him play in the game. That's not going to happen. So this whole at least four weeks thing is kind of a, a tease because he's going to miss more than four weeks. I just thought it was weird that it was being phrased this way. Um, but he's like Jonathan Gannon, first year coach. He doesn't have his franchise quarterback. who You just signed to a massive contract, right? You're go. You just cut Colt McCoy, which I said was a shock. And everyone else was kind of like, he, I thought he was going to be in line to be the week one starter. Now he's not. And you're dealing with Josh Dobbs, uh, rookie Clayton Toon, and I think Jeff Driscoll's on the roster too. So like, you're not going to be, you don't have a good quarterback flat out. Like you have young, either young guys or inexperienced guys and just career backups that you're going to have to throw in there and name a starter. And, you know, Gannon came in and said, I don't want to name a starter to <laughs> quote unquote, uh, strategical advantage, which is, you know, no one's, no one cares about the Cardinals, bro. Like you're going to get smashed. And it, it, at a point, like I could see the Cardinals being like, oh, and four, oh, and five, oh, and six and debating like, Hey, do we give Kyler a go here in the season? Um, to which my answer would be no, like you should, you should just remain bad like leave josh dobbs and leave whoever quarterback you have in there as the sacrificial lamb get a high draft pick they might get the number one overall pick uh they if they get the number two overall pick i'm saying draft marvin harrison jr and roll kyler murray out there next year best case scenario if you're a cardinals fan marvin harrison jr let kyler roll out there next year you're not going to be competitive this year Competitive. I'm not even saying like you're not, you're definitely not making the playoffs. You're not winning your division. You're not even going to be competitive. You're going to get smoked by basically everyone in the league. I think the Cardinals are going to be a bottom three team this year. I don't think it's going to be particularly close. They're going to look really, really, really bad. And when you have a franchise quarterback who goes down with an ACL injury, yeah, that happens. Um, the only way I could possibly see Kyler Murray coming back is if somehow some way the cardinals win like three or four games in the first seven or eight weeks of the season somehow somehow if like we through week eight or nine they're like four and four four and five or even like three and six or something like that like then i could see hey activate kyler see if we can make some type of a playoff push here win some games yada 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 um i just feel I feel like it's not in the cards for them, though. No, <laughs> damn it. No pun intended for that. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's they're going to get 
smoked by basically everybody. So again, tanking doesn't is not really synonymous with football because you can't really do it. Um, but just trot the team out there now, play hard, try and win. You're not going to, but just try. Uh, and maybe you'll look into Marvin Harrison Jr. That would be my game plan. Uh, last bit of the quarterback news, Matt Stafford. I thought this was interesting. His wife kind of airing him out on her podcast. Is it her podcast? Yeah. The Morning After with Kelly Stafford, which is kind of a feels like a weird name for a podcast for a football guy's wife. But okay. Um, and she was basically saying there's a lot of young guys in the league. You know, the Rams went and drafted 14 guys in the 2023 NFL draft. Aaron Donald and Ernest Jones are the only starting defenders who remain on the roster from the football, from the Super Bowl team. So that's like just to sh- that shows you the kind of turnover that the Rams have had in such a short amount of time. Stafford was hurt last year. Um, and there's just a lot of new guys on the team. And a lot of guys, they his wife goes on to say they call him like sir and stuff like that. They say like, yes, sir, no, sir, shit like that. And he says, it's weird. Like, no, you know, we're, we're teammates. We're playing on the same level. We're both in the league. You don't have to call me sir. Like, we're peers, you know? And there was a thing that people kind of pointed out and teased Matt Stafford a little bit about this story that she said, which I guess she thought it was cute because um, Stafford's 35 years old, which it's not really in, – in life, of course, that's not old, but in – football and professional sports, you might as well be a mummy. Um, And she's like, he had, you know, um, people on the coaching staff print him out a, a book of names and faces for all the guys on the roster. That way he can study their faces, study their name. And then when he sees them, try and connect with them, be like, Hey, so-and-so, how was your weekend? Um, You know, what'd you do? Yada, yada and try and connect with his teammates, which I think is just, that's like a real leadership type quality move you want from Matt Stafford. And uh, his leadership qualities have never been called into question. Everyone has always loved him as a quarterback and as a teammate because he goes out there and he plays hard, even if he's banged up, which we know he's been banged up for basically his entire career. He's had some type of banged up injury where he continues to go out there and play hard and play every down of football that he can. So people respect the hell out of Matt Stafford. Um, And I can see, you know, at this point, he's now at the age where guys that are almost 15 years younger than him are coming in and playing the league. Guys who are 22 years old, you know, coming in and now your teammates. So it's one of those things where I, I get why Stafford would feel that way, you know? And to try and connect with them. And uh, one of the quotes that went viral is that he couldn't connect with them because they're quote on their phone too much, which I think is just completely blown out of proportion. I don't, I don't think, I think that is number one. It's probably true. Number two, it just makes Stafford look really old, like senile old man type old, which he's not. Um, But when you're in a locker room, And it's, you know, it's training camp and you're meeting all these guys for the first time. Honestly, it's probably better that you're not on your phone on Twitter or texting people. Like, it's probably better that you stay off your phone and connect with your teammates that you're going to be going through the season with and going through training camp with. So in that regard, like, yeah, if they're on their phone too much, then that's not a good way to build rapport and chemistry with these dudes that you're going to be spending the next like seven to eight months with. So I get from that, if he actually did say that, like, that's a problem, then I, I could see where he's coming from with that, you know? Um, but it just, it was a weird, like, it was a weird story that came out that kind of made you chuckle a little bit, um, because it was so strange, like, oh, old man, Matthew Stafford, you know, that's what the, that's what the story was. Old man, Matthew Stafford can't connect with younger teammates because they're on their phone too much. That was the Twitter version of the story that was coming up, uh, over the past couple of days. And I thought it was just so bizarre and I don't put any stock into that at all. Um, Matt Stafford is a great leader and more so than anything, 
he leads on the field. You know, he's he's a guy, like I said, he plays through injury. He plays hard. He will give up his body to help his team win. And that's the kind of player he's always been. He was that in Georgia. He was that in Detroit. And he's that in LA. Like, that's the dude that he is. And I think anyone who watches football, and especially people who play football, respect the hell out of Matthew Stafford. Um, so that's just him wanting to to connect like he's at a point now in his career where kids are coming in out of college and they're a lot younger than him now. Like he's not in that period where like he's 27, 28 years old and can still kind of connect with rookies coming out of college in that way. Now he's 35. Like he has a wife, he has kids. It's a different, it's a different life that he has. So to try and connect to those guys out of college, I think that is, it's a good move. Like it's a, it's a smart move for him. He's he's a he's a leader. Like that's what he does. Um but naturally the internet is going to clown you a little bit when the reports come out that you have a book of faces and names to try and remember everyone from. Um Here, this is from Yahoo Sports. When Stafford entered the league in 2009, there were probably less locker room distractions. Smartphones and social media have been taking a brand new form since then and are hampering his efforts to to get to know his peers, according to Kelly, his wife, Kelly. Quote from Kelly, but I think nowadays it's really hard to develop that because all these young kids, they don't care or it's not that they don't care but they're so used to going straight to their phones instead of having some fun with the guys in the locker room. It's different. It's kind of sad. She said, I think Matthew feels that it was it's uh, it the most because he's old and like a leader on the team, but he's like, I don't know how to lead people. I have no connection with. I have to somehow find a way to connect with them. And that's harkens back to what I just said about how when he was 27, 28, like it was probably a lot easier to connect with guys, rookies coming out of college because you're not that far removed from that experience. And now as a 35 year old man, who's a father and a husband, you're not, you know, going at like, and I'm sure even back then you connect with those younger guys by taking them out clubbing and partying and, and, and doing stuff like that. Now I think the most Matthew Stafford could probably do is take him out to dinner. Like, cause he's a father and a husband and he's not probably going to be going out and partying uh, during the, during the week after practice, when you have an off day tomorrow, like he's not going to go clubbing with his teammates. He's not going to go drinking and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure maybe he does occasionally. I'm sure he does, but for the most part, he's not doing that a lot because you know, he has responsibilities and he seems like a very responsible man. So back then it was a lot easier. Like you go out, you take him to a bar, you take him to a club, whatever it is. Like that's how you bond a lot. But now I could like, yes. The fact that it came from his wife makes it a little bit funnier because it's kind of she's kind of airing out his his uh something that I'm sure he's insecure about and something that I'm sure he's worried about and something that he is really set on doing. So I don't like that she aired him out on that because now you know there's gonna be guys who are teasing him in the locker room about this. Um and all he's trying to do is be a better leader like be a better teammate and and lead these these guys, these young kids who come into the league, show them the ropes, make sure they're professionals, yada, yada, yada. Um, and she kind of just aired him out a little bit. So you know he's going to get clowned on, I would think, uh, in the locker room. Old man Matthew Stafford. But I, I like it. I mean, I, I think it's a smart move from him. I just don't think it was the smartest move that his wife aired, aired him out on her podcast. Kelly went on to say that they had, uh, as I guess Matt Matthew Stafford told him, told her, um, like you get you shower, you get practice, you shower, and then like you're playing cards or you're doing a ping pong tournament or something like that, and you're talking and you're interacting. And now a lot of the guys go on their phones and they're on social media or they're watching videos or whatever the hell, and. She said, Matthew's like, I don't know. Am I the dad? Do I take their phones? What do I do here? I don't want them to see me as a coach. Which, again, all legitimate concerns from Matthew Stafford. I do not blame him for feeling like this, even a little bit. Like, this is a, a disconnect between 
generations. And it's very, it's prevalent in society. It's not just like Stafford's the old man in football. It's, this is something that's going on in the world, right? This is this disconnect in society. Um, but to wrap up, I, I just, I don't, I don't think she should have aired him out. You know, he's going to get clowned on now in the locker room. I mean, old man, Matthew, old man, Matthew Stafford. Although Stetson Bennett did call Matthew Stafford the coolest guy ever, according to this, this Yahoo article, which makes sense because Stetson Bennett's like 26 years old. So that gap is a little bit smaller than, you know, a 22 year old rookie. So aside from the NFL, uh, we'll talk about some NFL future bets that I want to uh, that I really like going into this season, just because we're a couple weeks away. We had uh, college football week zero, USC and Notre Dame playing against Navy and San Jose State, respectively, um, both blowout wins. But week zero and then this upcoming weekend is the the big weekend, September 2nd. That's when everything else will kind of kick off, um, literally. So <laughs> we got. Future bets. I have been saying this. Joe Burrow, I think this is the year. I think you're going to see a heavy Joe Burrow MVP narrative being pushed early on in this season, especially if the Bengals get off to a hot start. Um, I know Burrow still kind of maybe nursing that injury a little bit. I think he's going to be fine. Um, but I really like the Joe Burrow MVP narrative. Uh it's going to be pushed early and it's going to be pushed heavy. And I think by the time Halloween rolls around, he's going to be like the guy that a lot of people are looking to, to be the MVP of this league. Uh, you have him at plus 700 across the board, except on DraftKings. He's listed right now at uh, plus 750. Mahomes is the lowest odds to win MVP at plus 600. And then after that, uh, you have Burrow and Allen are basically all in that plus 700, plus 750 range. Herbert plus 900 and as high as plus 1,200 on DraftKings. Jalen Hurts plus 1,200 and as low as plus 900 on PointsBet and Caesars. Um, and Lamar at plus 1,600, which I also kind of like. Um, I don't hate Lamar like that. If Lamar stays healthy, like the Ravens win football games, I've been saying it over and over again. If Lamar Jackson is healthy, the Ravens win football games. And just because he hasn't been healthy the past couple of years, they still somehow win football games. Like they are a unbelievably run and coached organization. So Lamar being healthy, they cause problems like that. AFC North is a problem. I don't think the Steelers are going to be bad. I don't think the Browns are going to be bad. And I think the Bengals and Ravens are going to be the top two dogs in that division, but everyone in that division is tough. There is there, there's not an easy out in that division. Um, but I think the Burrow narrative, just because it's, you know, it's his fourth year in the league. Uh, he has been to the Super Bowl and then the AFC Championship in back-to-back -back years. Uh, he's just a guy that has had tremendous success so far in the NFL. And I think that this is a year where he just, puts up those stats where people are like, okay, we're going to give it to him. Um, I think if Jalen Hurts wins, if Jalen Hurts has like a repeat year of last year, not only are the Eagles going to be the best team in the NFC again, uh, he could very well win MVP. Um, I would, I would most likely think I'm going to see some sort of Mahomes, Hurts Burrow trio in the top three of MVP voting with Allen and, and Lamar lurking at, at the four or five. So those are the kind of things that I'm looking at. Uh, some other ones that you can get on underdog fantasy. They have their NFL season list, higher lowers um, for their pick them. I love Darren Waller, 700 and a half receiving yards higher. Uh, DJ Moore, four and a half receiving TDs higher. Uh, Cooper cup, 1,250 and a half receiving yards. That feels high to me. I I'd probably go lower on that. Um, Justin Jefferson has a crazy amount of 1,400 and a half receiving yards. Travis Kelsey, nine and a half receiving yards or nine and a half receiving TDs. 
Travis Kelsey, nine and a half receiving TDs. Smash that higher. OBJ, Odell Beckham, 575 and a half receiving yards higher. They have all different types of uh, picks that you can have. Receivers for receptions, touchdowns, yards, quarterbacks, passing yards, passing TDs, rushing touchdowns for running backs, all that. So on Underdog Fantasy, you can go to the NFL season tabs in their pick them game. Uh, super good, super fun. I'm probably going to make some of those picks myself. Um, so I would. But if we switch to FanDuel, if we go to, if I go to FanDuel and I want to go to divisional leaders. So if I did divisional leaders and I did, this one would be a little bit shocking. I'm going to do the Dolphins at plus 290. The Bengals at plus 150, the Jaguars at minus 155, which I feel like is a trap because if Tannehill is healthy, I think the Titans are good. I think they'll challenge the Jaguars. But for now, the Jaguars, uh, the Chiefs, obviously, I don't think it's going to be close. The Eagles, of course, which is a bit tricky because the NFC East hasn't had a repeat divisional winner in like 20 years. Yeah, since 2004 was the last repeat divisional winner, and it was the Eagles. The Eagles won from 2001 to 2004. They won the division. Then it was 05, the Giants, 06, the Eagles, Cowboys, Giants, Cowboys, Eagles, Giants, Washington, the Redskins at the time, Eagles, Dallas, Washington, Dallas, Eagles, Dallas, Eagles, Washington, Dallas, Eagles. So since 2004, since the back-to-back 2003-2004 season, when the Eagles did it, there has not been a repeated divisional winner in the NFC East. So picking the Eagles here goes against that tradition, but I just don't see, uh, barring a knock on wood, an injury, I mean, I'm a Giants fan, so it wouldn't hurt my feelings, but I'm just, I don't want to put it out there in the universe because karma is real. So I don't know. I don't know. I think, um, I'm going to still pick the Eagles, their favorite. And I just don't see how they don't win this division if they stay relatively healthy. Uh, the NFC North winner, the Lions are the lowest at plus 145, but I'm going with the Vikings again. And then, uh, the NFC South winner, gross division, but, I mean, that's just a bunch of young and or inexperienced. Like not, Baker Mayfield's the quarterback for the Bucs. Not great. Um, Bryce Young, rookie. Desmond Ritter and or uh, Heineke, I guess, if he somehow beats out Ritter because he's bad. But I just, I don't like the Falcons there either. And the Saints with Derek Carr, like I just, I have to pick them just based on quarterback play. Um, and then the NFC West winner, I'm going with the Niners. So that would be an eight leg parlay. $10 would give me over six grand. <laughs> I'm going to make it. I'm going to, I'm going to pick that. I'm going to make that, that futures bet. I'm going to do it. That and Burrow MVP are like the ones that I'm going to, I'm going to lock in on the, the crazy futures parlay with the divisional winners. And then I'm also going to do the Joe Burrow MVP award future. I, I believe in Joe Burr. So, from NFL to college, college football's back. Two games that were played this past Saturday, Navy, Notre Dame, who Navy, I mean, Notre Dame blew out Navy. They were like 21 and a half point favorites or something like that. And Notre Dame covered 42 to three. They beat Navy. Uh, and this game was in, wasn't this game in Ireland? Yes, sir. It was. It was in Dublin, Ireland. And the line was 20 and a half Notre Dame and they covered so they won 42 to 3 over Navy and then San Jose State at USC. USC the 6th ranked team in the country and I'll tell you what, I don't really care that it was against San Jose State. This kid, Zachariah Branch, true freshman, five-star wide receiver, best uh best wide receiver in his class. Kid's a freak. Kid is a freak. He scored two touchdowns. Uh, a short pass. It was like a kind of a a rub route out to the to the sideline, just a, a short out route. And Caleb Williams dumped it off to him, and he took it like I think it was fifteen or seventeen yards, something like that. Made three or four guys look silly. Just this dude, he's one of those guys that just glides across the field, you know, super fast, super 
agile, changing speed like it's nothing. And then he had a kick return touchdown where, you know, some guys have like blinding speed and like crazy acceleration where he fields it at like the three yard line and he starts like jogging forward. And it's like, you know, those are the dudes that can just see the entire field. And as soon as he saw the hole open up, boom, hits it, accelerates and just runs, ends up running down the sideline, outrunning everyone, uh, made one guy miss, took it to the house for a touchdown. So this kid is, he's got agility, blinding speed. He's just, again, one of those guys that just glides across the football field and he's going to be a freak. Him and Caleb Williams for this year, like they're going to do numbers on offense. You can already tell. Zachariah Branch. Get ready to hear his name a bunch this season. And Caleb Williams, of course. USC won that game, by the way, 56 to 28, which if any indication to me, 28 points for San Jose State just makes me, lets me know that their defense probably isn't much better than it was last year. That's the only thing I'm worried about. Uh, but a lot of fun games next week in week one, or I guess technically week two. Is it week two, week one? No, it's week one. So week zero, that was Notre Dame and USC playing week zero, because then they still go into what is listed as week one on the schedule and play on Saturday, September 2nd against Nevada. Um, but the big game week one is Sunday night, 730 LS number five, LSU and number eight, Florida state. That's the, that's the big opening weekend game. So super excited for college football to be back. And of course that means NFL football right around the corner. We'll wrap up the podcast with our baseball news. Um, just really disheartening stuff happening at the end of this past week. Shohei Otani has a torn UCL, which will require another Tommy John surgery. He had gotten one a few years ago. It's the same arm, and that sucks. It's It sucks. Uh, he's still going to be hitting as a DH for the Angels, but... Him not being able to pitch. I mean, their season shot. Like the Angels are double digit games back out of the wild card. And on top of that, Mike Trout made his triumphant return from the IL for a grand total of one game. And then it was announced that he is going back on the IL the same day as it was announced Shohei Otani has a torn UCL. Now, Mike Trout, obviously heartbreaking. This dude is the best player in baseball when he's healthy and he just cannot stay healthy. And it's been that way for three years. He is 32 years old. His prime is approaching the rear view mirror and the angels have done absolutely zero things with a prime Mike Trout. It is disgusting and is disheartening to see how his career has turned out. Um, and then you have Shohei Otani where I don't know if people remember this or if it was just swept under the radar, but just like three weeks ago, Otani was, or two weeks ago, maybe Otani was scratched a healthy scratch, quote unquote, healthy scratch from his start for what they listed as arm fatigue. And it was insisted that it was just arm fatigue. He just needed a rest. And then he went out there his next start and he pitched and he pitched well. Then. The Angels GM came out and said that Otani and his agent refused to get an MRI on Shohei Otani, insisting that everything was fine. So let me tell you what this all means. The Angels GM, Perry Manassian, Manassian, however you say his last name, he revealed that the Angels offered to do an MRI on Shohei Otani on Shohei Otani's arm earlier in the month. I, I assume amount around the same time where they scratched him for arm fatigue. Uh, but Shohei and his agent refused because they didn't think it was necessary. Now, this is according to Jeff Fletcher, who is an Angels beat writer for SoCal News Group. This is like astronomically bad, like malpractice in every sense of the world word, because not only are you throwing Shohei? You're throwing Shohei and his agent under the bus while trying to save face for your organization because everyone points at the Angels saying, wow, the Angels are so poorly run. I can't believe they didn't. They had Shohei Otani pitching this whole time when he had a torn UCL. That's malpractice. So the Angels GM, to save face with them, says, hey, actually, guys, 
we offered to give him an MRI, but he said no. You know what that does to you? Any glimmer of hope, any microcosm of a possibility, sliver of this idealized dream where Shohei Otani remains in an Angels uniform, you killed it. You slaughtered it like lamb. You killed, you You rung it up. <laughs> you rung it up like a, a meat locker. That's where, that's where it is. It's dead. It's gone. You're, you're never, ever, ever, there's a 0.0000% possibility that Shohei Otani re-signs with the Los Angeles Angels because the GM, to save his franchise's ass and save face, and let, he let the noise get to him, threw Shohei and his agent under the bus, saying they were the ones that didn't want uh, the MR, MRI. Now, there's this goes both ways, in, in, a, in a sense, because... The Angels are they're a bad franchise. They they are poorly run. Uh the owner makes short-sighted decisions. He makes uh in the moment trades with no thought in the moment trades and signings with no thought about how it might impact his team moving forward. He's had a string of bad luck which is not his fault, but it just is something that has happened with the Angels like injuries to guys who were not injured when they weren't playing for you is something that you can't control. Just is what it is. Um, So a string of bad decisions and bad luck have led the Angels to basically being in purgatory where they look good on paper. They look like they want to compete. They make trades and they make signings that they, they want to compete. And then it just crumbles dust into your hands then there's nothing they can do about it. Uh, and it's basically around the same time every year, July, they just spiral out of late June, early July, mid July, they just spiral out of control. And then suddenly they play themselves out of competition. Um, and then we sit here in August saying like, I can't believe this happened to the angels again. Um, poor Mike Trout. And now in this case also add in poor Shohei Otani, but Otani's going to leave. Now the whole thing with the MRI causes you the your ears to perk up a little bit because why would Shohei and his agent not want to get an MRI? Is it maybe because they knew his free agent stock would tank? Not, I mean, he's asked to pass a physical anyway. So teams are going to give him a physical and they're going to find that he has a torn UCL one way or the other. Uh, so that theory doesn't really have much weight to it, in my opinion. Uh, it was more of just like, he wanted to keep playing. Maybe it was a competitor's thing. I don't know. Um, maybe this is just a story fabricated by the Angels GM to save face. Who knows? But bottom line, Shohei is not going to be an Angel after this year. And I do think, unfortunately, his free agency stock is, is uh, damaged a little bit. I said last week, I think there is, in all likelihood, the minimum contract Shohei Otani gets is Aaron Judge, which feels like an insult, almost. Um, like, this is a guy who... I, I don't know if he's going to get a 10-year contract um, because... He has had injuries before. Like he's had really only two fully healthy years. And that was 2021 and last year where he was able to go the entire season pitching and hitting. This year, he basically made it through the entire thing before his, he hurt his arm again. But now you're requiring another Tommy John surgery, which, you know, getting two Tommy John surgeries on the same ev elbow is a red flag. Um. I've seen a lot of people online mention that maybe he can just pick up a, a relief pitcher or a closer role where he hits and then he comes in and he shuts the door every other night uh, for a save. I think that's something that is a possibility. Um, I think you get a little, he gets a little bit less money for being a closer and not being a starter, but the fact that he's still going to be a two-way player still yields him a lot of money. Like, if you told me someone sh signed Shohei Otani to a 10-year contract for $500 million, I would believe you. And I think that's that's 
generous. $50 million a year is is generous for Shohei Otani. Uh, But he's like a guy that he can get. I I think a lot of people might try and lowball him because of this injury. Um, Like he, he can get 500 million. He can get 10 for 500, like 100%. There is no doubt in my mind. Uh, But I do think that the UCL complicates things a bit. And I do think people are going to try and lowball him, which is not necessarily right. But I think that's the only thing that the Angels have at their disposal is hoping that teams lowball him because of the injury. And then they offer him a bigger contract and he says, okay, I'll come back. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think Shohei's out the door. I think he has had it. You know, and if I'm Shohei Otani, the first person I'm looking at is Mike Trout. Like this dude has been incredible his whole career. He has done nothing but play hard and and be successful for the Angels. Yes, he's had a couple of string of bad locks with injuries the past three seasons. But for, you know, from the ages of 20 to 30 for 10 years, he was the best player in baseball. So. I'm looking at this guy like I'm incredibly talented. I'm I'm probably more talented than this guy. And am I going to stay with this franchise who has squandered this dude's entire career? Am I going to follow in those footsteps? Is this going to happen to me? How can I trust this organization to make the right moves to be competitive? To, to do right by me. You can't. Because the Angels are just right now the Angels are just one of those organizations. And until they're sold, it won't change. It mu- They're basically the Mets of the West Coast. No matter how hard they try, no matter how hard they try to sign players, trade for players, be competitive, wash away this stigma that you don't know what you're doing and the franchise is cursed and all that kind of stuff. Until it is sold, it won't change. And even with the Mets now, like you see the Mets. Like Steve Cohen hasn't been, despite all of his attempts to be competitive, the Mets have not have, have had success last year. They won a bunch of games and then they had a really, really disappointing end to the season where they lost the divisional lead. And then they had a wild card round exit disaster, right? Like even look at the Dodgers, like the Dodgers for years were not like in my youth, the Dodgers were poorly run. Like they were not the Dodgers they are now and the Dodgers that they were before I was born. Like now this is a true to form Los Angeles Dodgers franchise where they finally got back to their roots. They finally got back to, you know, farm system, good trades, good signings, value, value, value. The worst thing they ever did was trade Gordon Alvarez. Like that, they traded Jordan Alvarez for a reliever who I don't even remember. And they traded him to the Astros and Alvarez is obviously a a beast. So that's like maybe the only bad decision that they've had in the past 10 years. So they've been competitive. That's what they do. And like the Angels growing up for me, the Angels were always competitive. They were always a team that were a threat. The Yankees played them in the playoffs a, a handful of times. Uh, Like they made the playoffs. They were a good team. And now it's just been a decade of misery. So with Shohei, I'm looking directly at Mike Trout and I'm saying, do I want this? Is this like, am I looking in a mirror? Is this my career? If if I stay here, if I resign here, is this my career? Am I going to just waste away? Because Shohei Otani has been very, very, very adamant about winning and Mike Trout has too, but Mike Trout put his trust misguided or not in the angels organization. He signed that massive contract knowing he would probably be an angel for the rest of his career. And he signed it thinking we're going to make it work at some point in time. We are going to be successful. We are going to make it work. And it just never did. So is Shohei going to make that same mistake? My guess is no. Go to another big market, go somewhere on the West Coast, go somewhere. I know Japan, uh, Japanese players are partial to the West Coast because of the time difference and all that kind of stuff. Um, so he wants to stay on the West Coast, fine. He wants to go to the East Coast, make a difference, 
you know, the Yankees have a history with Hideki Matsui. Japan loved him. Like, he's a an icon. Maybe that's a draw to him. I don't think Hal Steinbrenner shells, shells out the money or Brian Cashman shells out the money for Shohei Otani, personally. I don't I don't think they, they're not like that. They're not built like that anymore. Um, so I don't really think that's a question. Like, the Mets, does Steve Cohen shell out money for Shohei Otani? I think he probably stays on the West Coast. Um, I just don't think he stays with the Angels. I don't. And and that sucks because now you just traded for people to make a playoff push and you didn't successfully make the playoff push. And now Shohei Otani, who's probably the most generational athlete, really, that I've ever seen, um, he's going to... I've seen with my two not two eyes, I should say, because Bo Jackson's obviously still a freak, but... Uh, Shohei Otani's like, he's a generational athlete. And now he's going to walk away from your franchise for absolutely nothing. Uh, as for the Yankees, just because we'll wrap up the show with them and the Mariners. I mean, the Mariners are on fire. They're 20 and five in August and they have a share now, or maybe they have sole possession of the AL West. The, uh, the Rangers have just absolutely collapsed and are on or they went on a colossal losing streak. Let's see how many L's in a row for the uh, for the Rangers. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight in a row. They lost. They have lost nine of their last eleven. It looks like so. Just an absolute slide for the Texas Rangers, who had sole possession of the AL West for quite some time, but now are in a tie for second place with Houston. They are both one game back of the Seattle Mariners, who again, were really have been, they've been a 500 ball club for basically the entire year, but they went 20 and five so far in August, which August is not even over yet. Um, So an unbelievable stretch for Seattle and Julio Rodriguez has been in the forefront of that. This dude has been all types of on fire. And he is now batting 286 with 24 home runs and 87 RBIs for the year. A slow start. Like there was a point in time for the fast first couple months of the season. He was batting like 230, 225. Yanked his average all the way up. His on-base percentage, his OPS, his home runs, RBIs, everything. Like just went on an absolutely disgusting tear for basically the entirety of August, which is it's not a coincidence that the Mariners have been winning a lot and uh, Julio Rodriguez has been playing basically the best baseball and he's the best player in baseball in August. Like he's been a freak and I really like the Mariners. I want the Mariners to, to win this division. Um, but overall in terms of like the Rangers, I wouldn't be worried about, um, you know, missing the playoffs or anything like that. You're going to make the playoffs. You're going to make a wild card team or a wild card game. Uh, Right now, the divisional leaders, it's the Orioles with the Rays two and a half back. The Twins have pulled away in the Central, um, and there's seven games in front of Cleveland. Seattle, Texas, and Houston all in the mix for that title. The Braves have locked up the East. Uh, the Brewers are pulling away now from the Cubs. They are five games in front. They're 74 and 57. The Brewers, another team kind of hovering around 500 and just had an unbelievable stretch here where they're playing. I think they're also on like an eight or nine game win streak. Uh, and then the Dodgers have the West locked up as well. And you look at the wild cards here. Uh, Tampa Bay has the first wild card in the AL. And Texas and Houston have the next two. So it's Tampa Bay, Texas, Houston with Toronto two and a half games back of Texas and Houston. Uh, in the National League, the, the Phillies have the first wild card locked up by like four and a half games over the Cubs. And then the uh, the Diamondbacks are just half a game over the Giants and one and a half over the Reds and two and a half over the Marlins for that third wild card spot. So that the the wild card spots in the the a, uh, the NL are a little bit tighter um whereas in the AL it's basically the Rays, Texas and Houston and then Toronto's the only real threat to like squeak into that wild card spot. Um as for the Yankees, because you know I can't go without talking about the Yankees, even though they suck. Um, they brought up Everson Pereira. I'm glad they're giving the kid a shot. Jason Dominguez also needs to be brought up. When the rosters expand, bring up Jason Dominguez. He's been raking. Just see what the kid can do. 
Just see what he can do. Why not? What's not going to hurt? I think the Orioles are going to bring up Jackson Holiday, to be honest with you. Like, that's another thing in the division. Jackson Holiday, 19 years old, absolutely tearing it up in the minor leagues. I don't see why the Orioles don't bring him up because I think Jackson Holiday at 20 years old is going to be the starting shortstop for the Orioles next year. Um, that's just the way I see that breaking down. And they just have him and Gunnar Henderson on the left side of their infield for the foreseeable future, <laughs> the next 15 years. And I'm going to kill myself. It's going to be horrible for the Yankees. Um, but the Yankees need a, all type of revamp as you, as I've stated. And as people know, um, so why not bring up more guys, like bring up, uh, bring up Dominguez, see what he's got. He's in triple a, see what he's got. And then the last bit, um, just happy news. Daryl Strawberry and Doc Gooden are getting their numbers retired by the Mets. So salute to Steve Cohen, uh, giving all of these great all-time Mets players their flowers and the recognition they deserve because the Will Ponce for a reason are like, we're not retiring numbers, except I think Seaver, Tom Seaver was the only one who had his number retired by the net by the Mets. And now um a lot. A lot more other guys are now finally getting their um, their just due. You know, Willie Mays got his number retired in August of 2022. Uh, Keith Hernandez got 17 retired. Keith Hernandez should be in the Hall of Fame uh, in 2022. Jerry Kuzman had number 36 retired in 2021. Piazza, 31, got retired in 2016, which is when he was him and I think Seaver were the only ones that. Um, had their numbers retired because Seaver's number was retired in 1988. So, um, oh, and Gil Hodges, number 14, and Casey Stengel. There you go. So Stengel, Hodges, and Seaver, um, Jackie Robinson too, but he's retired everywhere, so that doesn't count. Uh, and then Piazza was the only like modern day post-millennial or millennia uh, player to be retired by the Wilpons and the Mets, number 31. And then they finally now retroactively Cohen's going back and it's like, okay, who are these like all time Mets legends that need to be shown their respect and Kuzman Hernandez, Willie Mays. And now they're going to throw in um, Daryl Strawberry and Doc Gooden, which rightfully so those dudes definitely deserve it. So a happy moment. Finally, Steve Cohen, he's doing his part. He's doing his part to change the, the culture of that team. Uh, it's a good way to go about it. So that'll do it for this episode of From My Point of View. Thank you all for listening. As always, uh, I appreciate you. Have a great rest of your week, weekend, and we'll talk to you all next week.